Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Today, we are going to hear from Mr. Sonny M. That's S-O-N-N-Y, Sonny, last initial M. Uh, And I'm so glad I was able to catch up with Mr. Sonny in his California home. Sonny is involved with an organization called Rock to Recovery. It's R-O-C-K, the the word to, not the number to, 2-O. Recovery. Uh, Rock to Recovery has been around since 2012, and basically they work hand in hand with treatment centers to uh, help individuals in their recovery. They do that uh, by helping uh, individuals and groups uh, write a song. Uh, perform the song and actually record the song at the end of each session uh, and it's very very good work that they're doing but so we talk about that with Sonny but mainly I was interested in his mm, uh, his uh, journey if you will in recovery uh, Sonny got sober on December 31st 2001 yes that is New Year's Eve 2001 and we talk about that a little bit getting sober on New Year's Eve uh, we also talked to Sonny a bit about his love of animals uh, he has a, a real deep passion and love for animals in fact we talk about how his DOG actually introduced him to his G-O-D and the whole story that goes around that. Uh, uh, Another thing we discuss, uh, which was uh, uh, absolutely fascinating to me, is that um, Sonny had a heart attack when he was 45 years old, okay? And what he went through uh, during that heart attack, after that heart attack, the aftermath and, and the stem cell treatment uh, that he received uh, out of the country of the United States and the experience that changed his both his life and his lifestyle. So I hope you enjoy, Sonny. Namaste. You'll get that namaste reference if you listen to the entire episode. God bless. Okay, everybody, we are sitting here with Mr. Sonny M. Can you say hello, Sonny? Hello, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody. Uh, so Sunny, coming at you. <laughs> coming at you. So Sunny and I met. Uh, we were actually introduced to each other through a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Doug S, who's actually been on the podcast before, at least a couple times. And I actually have one more in queue that I have to release for Mr. Doug. Uh, We recorded him several times before he moved to the great state of California, which is where Mr. Sonny is today. Mm -hmm. And um, so, Sonny, first of all, I'm going to just have you uh, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions. Sure, sure. My name is Sonny, and I am an alcoholic. And when I identify as an alcoholic, uh, I mean, the, the classic condition that is described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which in my experience uh, does not discriminate, uh, or, nor is it just um, uh, symbolic of consumption of alcohol as a, uh, as a substance, but it also includes um, drugs uh, of all varieties. At least every, pretty much everyone that I put in my system, I seem to not be able to take with any type of power or control. Um, at least when I'm trying to enjoy it, I can't control it. And when I'm trying to control it, I'm certainly not enjoying it. 
Um, so that goes for, for drugs as well. And uh, my sobriety date is December 31st, 2001. Um, my home group is a, a group called Bravo Company in Santa Monica, California. It's a men's group that meets every single day of every single year on the Third Street Promenade at 12 p.m. Great. Well, if anybody's around that area and you want to meet Sonny, be sure to stop by, That's, right? Three or four days of the week, you'll find me there. Well, first of all, December 31st of 2001. Oh, we'll get into that and how, I mean, yeah, no, my right? goodness, you're right. right? <laughs> <laughs> At yeah. least you rang in the new year. Uh, no, I didn't ring in anything. I rang in a bottom. <laughs> That's what was getting wrong with my bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Happy New Year. Uh-uh. Nah. <laughs> That's great. You know, Sonny, uh, I know before we started this, uh, uh, I know you were out walking your dogs, and, and I'm, I'm familiar that you have, a, I, I guess, a, a love for dogs. And uh, Sonny and I can see each other while we're doing some recording here, and I happen to see at least two or three dogs in the background. There's three. There's there three? Are. Okay. So why don't you, I, you know, I just want to start with something a little off the cuff. Uh, you can talk to me about your love of dogs and how that came yeah. from. Absolutely, man. I, I have always had an affinity, particularly for dogs, but, um, or rather, and I am an animal lover. I love all animals, um, and, 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 you know, including humans. Um, but, for, but there's something about dog, and thankfully, because it sounds, it sounds cool and it's worked out for me, I was born in an English-speaking country because the word dog spelled backwards as God. And the word God spelled backwards as dog. <laughs> and I just happened to have had a second step, uh, excuse me, second step experience that it was based around my dog, not any of the ones that are here today because it was 16 years ago, but my dog Shay. Um, so I literally was introduced to my G-O-D by my D-O-G. <laughs> and, well, talk um, to me about that. How did yeah. that come about? Yeah, well, I've always been a, um, a dog lover, and I since 1987, since actually since I got re out of rehab in 87, which obviously I have not been sober. You, you didn't hear me say my sobriety date was in 1987. No, the the end of 2001, the very very end of 2001, the last day of 2001. <laughs> um, but I was in treatment. I was put in rehab in 1987. I was 16, and um, when I got out of rehab, my buddy who was like, he's still like a brother to me. Um, and, uh, I basically lived with him. Um, our parents, both of our parents, both of our sets of parents worked, we were latchkey kids. So we basically just hung out all the time and he started working at this animal hospital. And I got, when I got out of rehab, I started working at this animal hospital and up until 2014, until I started working with rock to recovery, I had been working on and off my entire life uh, 27 years roughly of, um, being a, a veterinary technician. Um, I'm a musician. So mama said, you better have something to fall back on. And luckily I had that to fall back on because sometimes it pays the bills as an artist and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> um, and so when it didn't, I would work at animal hospitals, um, as a vet tech. And so I was able to always connect, you know, and stay and do like, it's really honorable work. It's, it's shit pay. And it's sort of a dead end unless you pursue a career with licensing and and um, whatever. You need to pretty much own an animal hospital to really have a you know lucrative career. But uh, the reason I bring that up is because when I hit bottom in 2001, and I and my um, now ex-wife, who was at the time was my girlfriend, um, who <laughs> she had seen me for six months, the last six months of my drinking and using, had seen me coming off crystal meth. And um, on and off, and, and then having these moments where I'd be just so just pen, you know penitent, like oh I I I really I don't want to stop, but I can't. I want I need help, you know. And I was and then I would get some. It was self pity, and I would get some pity from her. And then a few days later, I'd start feeling better. And then my the obsession of the mind would, would kick back in and would tell me some lie, like it, should, it was just it was just that you know. Um, this or that, and you could be, probably be just fine to drink, you know, and then I would start drinking again, and I'd start smoking crystal meth again, you know, just repeat. And so she finally had said, get out. Your dog can stay, but you got to go. <laughs> she literally said those words. She And she was letting me live at her house with, her, with my dog. And she said, get out. Your dog can stay, but you got to go. And then she and my dog left and went, I don't know where. 
Um, and there I sat on her corner of her bed. Again, it was like another bottom. I'd, I'd, I'd hit plenty. Um, but this was the one. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't know how to continue, but I didn't know how to stop doing what I was doing. And so um, I reached to the phone and I literally dialed 411 and called Alcoholics Anonymous, asked for Alcoholics Anonymous. If anyone that's maybe younger than, than uh, landlines, 411 is operator assisted, uh, you know, it's the phone book on the phone. We thought it was so cool. Right, 30 it used cents to cost extra, money, right? Yeah. 30, so for 30 cents extra, you could get the connect, you can connect, get the call connected. <laughs> For an additional 30 cents, we can connect you to blah, blah, blah. And so um, I definitely pushed one and got connected. And uh, I asked for help, right? I said, someone answered, alcohol is not. And I was like, uh, I don't know what to do. I can't stop. And I need help. And the lady was like, well, great. And I was like, great? What do you mean? <laughs> and she said, um, uh, where are you? I said, I'm in Santa Monica. I gave her the, the street corner. And she said, there's a meeting starting in 30 minutes. That's seven blocks from your play, where you are right now. Hang up the phone right now and go there. Hang up now. Hang up. Hang up and go. Hang up and go. And I was like, ah. so I went. Hung up. I don't even remember walking there, John. I just I, I got there. Um, I uh, um, it was five or six people. You know, I had been to um, to meetings. I'd been to plenty of meetings in in '87. Uh, I'd had no interest in getting sober or staying. So I had no interest in staying sober. Uh, I had interest in getting sober and getting the heat off. Um, but I, I was not interested in staying sober, so I didn't do any steps. I had a sponsor in name only. Literally, his name was Lars. He was he had the same name as the drummer of Metallica. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I asked him, and he, had, and he rode a motorcycle. Um, and he told me like it like it was. So I didn't like him. He told me how you know he didn't he didn't give me. I'm saying I'm calling bullshit on. We'll love you till you love yourself. It's very sweet. It's so sweet and and um and sentimental. But I don't need anyone. I didn't need anybody to love me. Till I love myself. I needed someone to tell me like it was, like it is. Tell me straight. That's loving me. Um, I don't need any pats on the ass or whatever. I need you to say, look, man, if you have a problem, we can help you. If you're ready to stop doing this and do a different way, we're, we can help you. That's what I to say I needed. So, and it is love. It really is love, but it's not whatever. It's not frothy emotional appeal, quote unquote. Um, so uh, I, I said, I my name's Sonny. I'm not an alcoholic and I smoke crystal meth and I can't stop and I don't know what to do. And they clapped. Of course, Southern California, we clap for everything. <laughs> <laughs> we clap for everything, dude. Sometimes I'm, so, I'm like, can we just get through the meeting without coming? Everything. Okay. It's a little ridiculous. I'm really, I'm the actual one that's ridiculous. We're all supportive and I'm a jackass. Um, so uh, they clapped. And then a couple people later, a man looked at me and he looked all fresh faced and his teeth were white and straight and he had, and he looked at me right in the eyes and he's like, Hey man, you need to go to Mario's. And I was like, okay. I was, so, yo, I was so desperate. I would have done, I was down to do whatever. I was desperate. Finally, I was desperate. What is Mario's? Mario. That's what I said. What's Mario? <laughs> and he goes, Mario's is a men's meeting on third street promenade every day at noon, oh. which turned into now my, what I call what we call Bravo. It's the same group. Ah. We just changed. We moved venues and we moved to a restaurant eventually called Bravo and it's got a cool name. It's called Bravo Company. So it's Bravo. And we're actually in a restaurant called Trust Ever right now, but it's still, I still call it Bravo because we're, you know, it sounds cool. It's got the Italian theme going with it. The Mario, yeah, the military. Oh, yeah. We're always, so, and now we're at Trust Ever right. Somehow we always land on a, in an <laughs> Italian restaurant. I don't know how we do it, John. We do it every time. We don't, and there was another place called, uh, um, oh, it was all called uh, uh, Barrique, which is also Italian. Wow. Fusion. Barrique, yeah. Uh, that was a, a, like a little um, subsidiary spot we pl- we landed. So um, I'm 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 still talking about the dog thing because you mentioned you know, right. And so, uh, it ties into the first question. I'm telling you my whole bottom, but it's also the, <laughs> the, the dog thing. And so um, I went to uh, Mario's the next day, and I was so desperate, man. I tell you, some people go the program is not for people that want it, but for people that need it. I I I, I wanted it when I was on an international flight in, in uh, right after September 11th of 2001 and I was smoking meth in a international flight on a, on an international flight in a bathroom. I did not want to do that. I wanted to be sober. I wanted to be clean and I was a slave man. And I was smoking meth in a bathroom on an international flight to England, looking at the um, smoke detector 
panicking going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And in the last minute I had a stroke of what some people call genius. And I pushed the plunger on the sink and I blew the smoke into the plunge into the, so it sucked it down. And also the toilet works too. For any of you who haven't quite hit bottom sufficiently that want to try that, <laughs> enjoy. Um, I don't want to ever do that again, but it didn't matter if I wanted it. It didn't even matter if I needed it. it what mattered was that I was ready to do it. I was so fucking desperate that I, I would do anything. And I didn't really have to do that much when it came down to it. So I went to Mario's. I heard a man share. He terrified me. So I went up to him after the meeting and terrified him by sweaty. People can't see me, but unless people know who I am, I uh, shaved head. I had a goatee at the time. I have piercings. I have tattoos. And I cornered this guy at the top of the stairs. And I was like, you got to help me, man. <laughs> and he was like, oh, God. And, uh, and uh, he did. And he said, okay, here. Here's the big book in the 12 and 12. And I said something brilliant, like, what should I do? Should I read these? And he was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, read this. Uh-huh. But as if I was really going to read anything at the time. And he goes, um, meet me at this meeting tonight at 7.30. He was actually testing me. He was like, he was checking my willingness. Meet me at 7.30, right down the street, 4th and Wilshire, Santa Monica, 7, 7.30 on Friday night, another good meeting that I don't make very often, but it's there. It's a good one, Santa Monica. And so I went to that meeting and he was there and he said, okay, man, um, I want to tell, I want to say that I was so desperate again that I I didn't hold on to the thought or to the belief that I it wasn't my first rodeo. It for damn sure was my first rodeo. Sure, I'd been in rehab. I'd been to lots of AA meetings. I'd been I'd heard all the things, but it was my first rodeo, man. I don't say this time sober. This is the only time I've really been sober. This is the only time I've really taken. I've actually taken the steps. I've done the work, if you will. I do the work, if you will. Um, which is and now it's just part of my life. I integrated my life, which is fantastic. And so he goes, I'll be your sponsor. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I need one of those. I need that, yeah. And he goes, uh, are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And I said, yes. I didn't say, well, hold on, man. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't, I'm not trying to whatever. I just said, yes. And he goes, cool. And he took me through the steps. And as he started taking me through the steps, my life started to change immediately. Now this dog um, who was allowed to stay at the house <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, welcome at the house and I wasn't I went oh yeah she told me to get out but I went back <laughs> I didn't <laughs> stay away but she was probably like what are you doing I told you to but I stayed and we eventually stayed together and got married and now we're divorced with you know real life happens regardless of sobriety um, but this dog this beautiful creature um, Shay so I started to um, I, I, I've been a musician all my life I've been a um, professional musician all my adult life and I was playing in a band that I quit because it was um, the, the, the roadblock to my serenity. So I stopped. So I left that band and I started working as a vet tech again. Um, a few months into it, I'm on my second step, probably leaning into the third step. A um, couple few months in there and my dog gets pancreatitis. And now I have a team of doctors. I work at two different animal hospitals and he's a boxer and he's, he was a specimen. He was a beautiful specimen of a boxer. And he got pancreatitis and um, we, uh, we did what was is necessary. It's pretty treatable. It's a pretty serious thing, but it's also treatable. Uh, lots of fluids, um, no food for a couple of days, but lots of fluids so that the, the pancreas can get back into normal range, normal uh, values. Um, after three or four days, um, he wasn't, it wasn't getting better. And the doctors, I'm talking about a team of doctors, John, were like, we don't know why he's not getting better. And it terrified me. And I went back in like the grooming area of this animal hospital. I fell to my knees and I prayed to a God that I didn't even believe in. I didn't know. I didn't really even know what I was doing. I was, wasn't conscious of it. My history as far as religion is I, my grandfather on my father's side was a Pentecostal pastor in Southern Virginia speaking in tongues. And you're going to burn in hell forever for masturbating and for liking heavy metal with both of which I do. <laughs> <laughs> did and have done and do on occasion. Um, <laughs> so and you're going to burn for that forever, but God loves you. That whole thing. It was really not easy to digest. Uh, and I hated that God. I still don't care. I don't, it's not mine. That's not the one. Um, so, uh, I, but I fell on my knees and I prayed, help me, help me actually help him. I was like, please help this be- beautiful, innocent creature. Help him. Anything that you would give to me, give to him. And um, I didn't know I was doing it. And a couple of days later, he got better. It was bizarre. And I didn't realize it. A couple of days after that, I'm talking to my sponsor. He's, my sponsor is so passionate. My first sponsor, he's not my sponsor anymore. He's a dear friend of mine still. 
so passionate. He was trying to help me find my concept of God, right? Here, <laughs> what's your concept? And I was like, yeah, you know, nature. Blah, blah. I studied Wicca. I studied freaking Luciferianism. I studied <laughs> Taoism. I studied Buddhism. None of them landed. None of them really still land. None of the, the, the canned religions actually land with me. Um, and I also use them, if you will, what's available to me. Um, in, a, in the most uh, respectful way that I can. But um, he goes, when Shay got sick, did you pray for him? And I went, oh, I did. And he goes, okay, you know where that place is, right? You're going to go to the God who's quote unquote saved Shay. And I went, oh man. And like this lightness occurred in my shoulders. And I was like, I know where that is. And it isn't up. It isn't down. It isn't over there. It's right here. I'm pointing at my heart. That's where God that's where I went to reach toward love for my um, innocent, beautiful dog. He then, a couple weeks later, got sick again, pancreatitis again. A week later, he wasn't getting better. Um, we uh, opted to do an open, like to do an exploratory. Um, the night before we went in, he was this, he had been this massive, like muscular, beautiful specimen of a boxer. And he was all but a bag of bones because he couldn't eat um, for a week. And he just, and it was, there was, it was something was killing him. And I rolled up in his cage with him and I kissed his face and I, you know, smooched on his big fat lips. And I said, thank you. I love you. Thank you for, for introducing me to freaking God, dog. <laughs> and um, I, uh, uh, and I, you know, went about my business. The next morning, we did the surgery, and they found a tumor in his stomach, the size of a grapefruit, mm. and it was inoperable. And we had to let him go. And this dog um, introduced me to God, if you will, you know. Um, and we had to say goodbye to him. A couple weeks later, I was at this place, Twenty Sixth and Broadway, another uh, meeting that's in Santa Monica, meeting house. I was the greeter. I had like fifteen uh, commitments. <laughs> <laughs> every week <laughs> somehow I had two commitments a day at meetings Mr. Overachiever and uh, and I was at a meeting and this woman pulls up this woman named Jillian who I haven't, probably haven't seen since that day she pulls up she comes running up to me she, this is two weeks after my dog died she runs up to me she says Sonny I heard you're looking for a dog and I was like what? <laughs> she goes yeah I just uh, was at Natalie's I found this dog running up Montana Avenue this morning he jumped out of the bushes and came running along with me and my dog and I took him to Natalie and asked her if she wanted him. She saw the dog and, and went, whoa, that's Sonny's dog. Even though I didn't have a dog at the time, she was like, that's, and she said, Sonny's at 26 in Broadway. So she, Jillian brought me this dog. I went to the car and, and he, I put my, went down on one knee, this beautiful, like, I don't know, he's like an um, English pointer pity mix. I got down on one knee, put his paws on my shoulders, started licking my head. I named him right there. I was all, hey, Buckley, like Jeff Buckley. And, uh, that was, he was my, he is my, still my favorite creature to ever walk the earth. Um, he passed away five years ago, but he was like, I think around 12. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, it's weird, man, these things, you know, I got introduced, if you will, to God by my dog. And then I was at a meeting and I got the, introduced to this dog. So it's like dog, God, God, dog. And it just keeps going, man. I mean, I could keep going um, with, with those kind of magical experiences have a love of the steps and why don't you talk about why you have that love of the steps uh, how that developed uh, uh, talk about some of your experience with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and we'll take it from there yeah my love of the steps uh, came from doing them <laughs> from taking them and the desired result was achieved <laughs> I actually uh, got what I wanted um, sometimes I hear people say, I didn't get sober to be blah, blah, blah. I didn't get sober to be miserable. I didn't get sober to be bored. I didn't get, and I, I know what they mean. Um, but I got sober to get sober. Mm -hmm. I got sober to not be plagued by the mental obsession that always returned no matter how long I was away from drugs and alcohol. No matter what I used to replace drugs and alcohol, it always came back. And so that's what I 
that my desire was to be free of that. And that to me is where, oh, and it says in the big book, that is the problem lies in our mind rather than in our body. There is a problem in the body. It's the allergy of the body. When I put um, drugs and alcohol in my body, I'm, I am powerless in that I'm not the one who decides what happens next. Even the one to decide whether I'm going, it's, I'm not the one to decide whether I'm going to stop or continue. Sometimes I stopped. That's why it was so cunning, baffling, and powerful is because sometimes I could have a couple drinks. And it, but it was, it, here's the thing. It's not up to me. That's what I try to impress upon people is you might be able to have a couple, I might be able to have a couple drinks, but I'm not the one that gets to decide whether that's the case. And it certainly is the case more often than not that I don't have a couple, that I continue. Here's the truth for, about me. I don't have any interest in having a couple of drinks. I am not interested in having, I don't care about the taste of alcohol. I don't have any interest in having a couple beers with the guys while we watch the game. I seek oblivion in, in all of its forms. I do not only drink to drown the sorrow. I drink to amplify the joy. I drink to amplify the pain. Like if I'm feeling dark, oh God, let's get real dark, man. Let's, let's wallow. So why I particularly pick up the drink slash drug in the first place isn't completely independent from or, or whatever it's connected to, but it's quite different than why I can't put it back down. You understand what I mean? So I pick it up because I think that I need to want to have to put it in my body. It gave me some effect, some desired effect when I was a child then I felt lonely or I felt like if you and I and Doug were friends, you and Doug are better friends with each other than I, either of you are with me. So I, so when I drank, I could, I felt like we were closer. Uh, she didn't want to talk to me. And then I had a couple drinks or smoked a joint or did a line. And all of a sudden I was like, yes, yeah, she does. She doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> or I suck on guitar is the thought. And then I have a couple drinks. And I'm like, ah, oh, fucking Jimmy Page, you know? So these, I would, and then I got to the point where I actually believed that I, that it made me better. Meanwhile, I also have a physical allergy where a, a craving occurs. And anyone that doesn't understand this can liken it to if you maybe take a, a do a diet where you starve yourself of carbs, and then you eat some pasta one day. The next day, you will be craving some pasta. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> sweet tooth. Yeah, you don't have a sweet tooth. You have a sugar craving. I have a <laughs> uh, uh, addiction, if you will. Yeah, I got a sweet tooth. So you, you mentioned being a guitarist there, uh, you know, uh, being a, a musician. Uh, and, you know, there's kind of a, I guess, a common held belief that uh, musicians think that they are more creative, if you will, when they're drinking or doing drugs or whatever the case may be. Uh, um, did, did you ever experience something like that? Completely. I mean, that's why that's, that's what, exactly what I was referring to, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, the, the, um, I felt more creative. I don't know what it is. There's got, there's definitely some type of science where, you know, the, I mean, we call liquor spirits. I mean, why? Right. Because it kicks, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> a spiritual experience. Yeah, man. It, I was seeking a spiritual experience and it worked for quite some time. Mm -hmm. It gave me the desired effect. Like it says in the, in the, uh, in doctor's opinion, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Ooh, word. I mean, 100% Dr. Silkworth. Thank you. <laughs> but with alcoholics, the, the, uh, the sensation is so elusive that when we're, when we're in the powerlessness of the, um, of the, uh, the, the body, the allergy, of the body, it's so elusive that we, we drink all day, every day, whenever we can. And then our, our lives start to be molded by that. And then it seems normal to drink in the morning or to, you know, to be partying with people at night and everyone goes home. Then I go get cocaine and I keep on going. Like, what are you guys, why are we stopping? You know, that whole thing that, and it seems normal, quote unquote normal to me, but it's not, mm -hmm. I mean, it's an it's alcoholic. Right. So, um, yeah. So certainly being a guitar player and being in bands my whole life, those things go hand in hand. I mean, live fast, die young, all the, you know, all my heroes died when they were 27 and all this bullshit. James you know? Dean. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Um, 
I mean, go on Jeff Buckley, well, not Jeff Buckley, uh, Amy Winehouse, mm, yeah. um, Kurt Cobain. I think he might have been a little older, but it sounds more. People call it the 27 Club. And, you know, I work with people in treatment centers and I'm like, please don't, don't glamorize it. It's not cool to die at 27 of a, of a drug overdose. It's not cool. You're going to want to live longer. You're not going to want to miss even the pain. You're not going to want to miss the pain. So I, I, I went off. You were like, you asked me about the steps and I just started going off on step one. Um, but it's like, I have to, I, we have to identify um, the problem. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you look at the numbers, the problem being step one, um, we had admitted, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable is uh, outlined in the first four chapters, doctor's opinion, Bill's story. There is a solution more about alcoholism. That's four chapters for a step, one step. And it is step one. The second step is outlined in the um, chapter to the agnostic, which is called we agnostics, which is chapter four, but it's step two. And then it goes, those two steps kind of go together into the, how it works um, up to page 60, um, which is where the, 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 we actually read the steps. And then the, the third step begins on page 60. And then the subsequent nine steps, um, meaning three through 11, occur on 28 pages. That's 11 steps in 28 pages, averaging two-ish pages per step. So you tell me <laughs> if, if step one is four chapters and, the, and then step two is one chapter and then the, the, the remaining nine steps, I mean, step 12 has got a chapter to itself, a whole chapter, a long chapter, but it's one chapter. You do the numbers. What's the most important step? We, we, you know the answer. It's step one. I, I have to know what, the, what it actually means to be an alcoholic before I can know what to do about it. And, and that's one of the things I think people, we, we really rush people through the first three steps without actually understanding alcoholism. We, we measure the, the, um, the, the uh, conditions of our lives. What's our, the bottom? Oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's bad enough. <laughs> yeah, my life's unmanageable. But man, I wish that it said a little bit more detail, but whatever. Um, I wish it would say that, you know, something to the effect, and it does in the big book, but you have to read it. It says, um, you know, if we just said we admitted our lot that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, allergy of the body, hyphen that our lives had become unmanageable, and then in parentheses, mental obsession. That's how I look at it. So in the most simple form, they're connected, but there's a there's an allergy that is the powerlessness, and there's a mental obsession that is the unmanageability. Unmanageability is, is not limited to how bad I've fucked my life up or whether I can balance my checkbook or keep a job or, or keep a relationship. It's, it's, that's not it. It's my relationship with drugs and alcohol. And um, I can't manage, even if I put it down, I can't manage to leave it put. I always would return to it because of a thought, because of a resentment, because of a trauma, because of a desire, because of, and I, that's, and then that would conspire with my, the thought in my mind and then I would reach for the drink or drug because that's what an alcoholic addict does because unless, and I'm going to quote Bill, Bill story page 14. If I don't, if I fail to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, I will surely not be able to face or handle the trials and low spots ahead. They're coming. Trials and low spots are coming drunk or sober. Trials and low spots are coming. That is life. It is. Right. And so, but unless I perfect and enlarge, seek, to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, I won't be able to do it because I'll drink again. And so, and then, and all right, so there's the problem. And then that the problem's only stated one time in the entire steps. And by the way, I really want to impress this upon people as well. This, the step one in, in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, you can go, you can go to Narcotics Anonymous if you want to, it says nothing about people, places, or things. Mm. Please do not add that people don't do it. You're complicating it. You're making it another program. If you go to Al-Anon, go to Al-Anon. Work the Al-Anon steps. But please, if you're going to take the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous because you have alcoholism, because you are an alcoholic, keep it simple. No, it doesn't. People, places, and things. I'm like, hold on. Did I miss something? I, my big book doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't 
fucking say it. And I think it causes people to drink, man, because we get all caught up in all this other stuff, man. And it's not about that yet. We're going to get to people, places, and things, but not in step one or step two. We're going to talk about it in step three, but we're going to get to it in step four. I remember this old timer who used to say, we are, we are in a AA, not PPTA, people, places, and things. <laughs> Love it. I'm going to say that. I'm, going to, I'm taking it. You go for it, man. So I want to talk also about, uh, uh, Doug mentioned something to me about some sort of uh, stem cell type of adventure that you had had. And I wanted to make sure we covered that during our time. And can you talk to me a little bit about that and where that comes from and what it means? Yeah. Talked about a lot. I'll try not to be <laughs> too long. Um, yes. Okay. So in uh, July of 2016, I had a heart attack. Uh, I just I had just turned 45 years old. I'm healthy. I was vegetarian at the time. Um, I've been sober for 14 years, I think. Yeah, about 14 years, maybe on, going on 14. And uh, I had a heart attack, man. I have genetic coronary artery disease, and um, I want to point this out too to anyone that's listening that may have this experience just because one has it in their genes doesn't mean that they are doomed to have the results of it. My family, um, the reason that, that um, heart disease runs in families is because diet runs in families. What we feed our children and ourselves is the thing that causes our illnesses. It is what we put in our bodies. I, 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 and I know this now at 47 um, so I ate cheeseburgers, hot dogs, steak, ice cream, milk, cheese, you know, I, all the things, man. Um, I love meat, you know, I love bacon. Um, what, what, let me just make sure I clear this one. Didn't you say you were a vegetarian at the time though? At the time I was, but for 42 years prior, I got wasn't you. Gotcha. leading up to that. Okay. For 42 years, I say, 40, okay, so at, at four, when I turned 42, well, actually when my dad died, I became vegetarian in June of 2013. Did he die sorry. from heart disease by chance? No, he died from cancer. But he had a heart attack when he was 50. Gotcha. Because he ate cheeseburgers, hot dogs, blah, 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 all the things. And um, so so uh, I was literally struck vegetarian. Talk about a spiritual experience. It was I was literally touched. You are not eating meat anymore. It was, it's over. I, I did continue to eat for the subsequent couple years. Um, dairy and eggs, lacto-ovo, you could say. Um, but then in 2000. 17, uh, no, 16, right after this heart attack, I was, I, I became vegan right after the first heart attack. That's what's going to suck. Cause you're going to hear that I had a second heart attack. Um, so I had a heart attack in 2016. Uh, I had four stents placed cause I had blockages around my heart, and my arteries. Uh, and they did the typical Western, Western medicine thing. And they just gave me a bunch of medications and sent me on my way. Um, and then, uh, subsequently 2018, January of this year, I'd had the flu, terrible flu. And apparently, um, the things that once saved my life, the stents that are in my body now, uh, are also uh, potentially liabilities. They're little pieces of metal um, that are tubes that are you know that went in to open up where I had these blockages. They didn't clear them. They don't clear the blockage. FYI, they just open the area where the blockage is, so the blood can flow through. And um, I had the flu terribly, man. And I. Um, uh, I'll bring this up really quick because it's quite. I, I find it to be quite spiritual. I watched a Joe, Joe Rogan podcast um, with Dr. Neil Reardon from the Stem Cell Institute in Panama City, Panama, and Mel Gibson, kooky as he is, he was on there um, testifying on behalf of his father's experience with stem cells and how it saved his life. Uh, his dad was 92 and he was dying of liver disease, kidney failure, and heart disease, and he had a his hip was destroyed. Um, terrible hip. Uh, um, um, whatever you call it, uh, atrophy. Um, and he got stem cell treatment and, uh, the man just turned a hundred and he's really healthy. Um, his dad just turned a hundred years old. And so I saw this, this, um, podcast and I was laying here sick watching a podcast and I went, wow, man, I'm going to check this out. This could, this is heart disease. They talked about heart disease. I'm going to check it out. I went online. I had a pulled up a tab, pulled up on my computer and, uh, uh, and I kind of saw it and I was like, this is going to be super expensive. So I kind of just put a little bookmark on it and went on my way. And then uh, a couple days later, I went back to work um, and I thought I was all well. And I worked and then I was loading my car up with some gear 
and I started to feel this anxiety. Felt completely different than the initial heart attack I had a year and a half prior. It started as anxiety rather than pain, and um, and I started driving. I was driving home from work, and I realized uh, as I was sweating and uncomfortable, and I could, I was like, oh my god, something's wrong. I realized I'm having a heart attack, and so I went to the hospital. They took me in again. They went in angiogram. They found that two of the stents were quote unquote failing. Um, that the arteries were increased, uh, were seriously um, inflamed, and were closing around the stents, and a blood clot formed and almost killed me. Hundred percent blockage almost killed me. And so they went and they opened the stents and they put a, another stent where the blood clot was, and they sent me on my way. And they just kind of doubled my my medication. And then they were like, "Yeah, I'm all." They're like, "Your diet," and I said, "Yeah, I've been vegan for two years." They're like, oh, uh, well, just eat less processed foods. I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. That sounds great. Um, I lost hope in Western medicine at that point, <laughs> at least in the cardiology department of Kaiser Permanente. And I, I had friends that literally out of nowhere, John, I didn't say, hey, you guys, I was watching this podcast, Joe Rogan, Heart Stem Cells. And I had all these friends come up to me out of nowhere, seemingly. They probably watched, heard the podcast. And they said, dude, you ever think about stem cells? And I went, yep. In fact, I have it pulled up on my computer. Why do you ask? And they go, because you should get it. Get them. Um, we did a GoFundMe campaign, and uh, it was wildly successful. I got twice as much as I needed, technically, um, to get the treatments, um, which helped me because I, I couldn't work for some time, and, um, and, uh, and I had debt from the previous uh, heart attacks that I used to pay off the uh, – use the money to pay those that debt off. And I went to Panama in May of um, this year, and I got stem cells. They're just just injections. They're they're called mesenchymal stem cells. You can get them in the states. You can get stem cells in the states, but they're not the same ones. You can only get the platelet-rich plasma, the bone marrow, and the fat cells in the United States. You must go elsewhere. Uh, they are not embryonic. I didn't go to Tijuana. I went to. Uh, the legit stem cell institute in Panama City, Panama, and got mesenchymal allogeneic uh, stem cells, and uh, have had a radical uh, health experience. They told me to. It's been four months. They told me to wait six months before I got scans, like echocardiogram and such, to look at the arteries and the and the heart. Um, so I'm waiting for that. And I can tell you, I also got injections in my big toe joints because I have arthritis in my big toes. But that's been excruciating over the years. And within two weeks, it started to um, uh, decrease swelling, decreased pain, and increased flexibility. Two weeks. My goodness. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also used to have um, tendonitis in, this, in my right elbow. I don't have tendonitis in my right elbow anymore. It used to hurt to pick up a guitar case. To grip a guitar case to pick it up, it was painful in my elbow. It's gone. I'm talking about it's gone. It just doesn't exist. And um, the flexibility in my toes, I used to, I went to a podiatrist a year ago at Kaiser and she was like, oh yeah, we just need to do surgery. We need to fuse your big toe joints. And I was all, uh, no, no, we're not, no, thank you anyway. And I moved on. And then, um, because I couldn't, you know, I had very limited flexibility. Now I can make like the classic fist with my toes. I could curl them and flex them. Like I never did, could, like I haven't been able to in the previous four years. So imagine if that positive thing is happening, what else is happening inside my body? Like I can see that. So what else is going on in the body? Oh, by the way, I went to AA meetings in, I went to AA meetings in Panama City. We're there. We're in English speaking cities, English speaking meetings in Panama City. What do you know? When I hear people, sometimes people go, oh, uh, I haven't been to a meeting in a week because I was out of town. I go, well, what town were you in? <laughs> <laughs> what town doesn't have a, right? And I can tell you when I was in Bucharest, Romania and Sofia, Bulgaria in 2012, they did not have AA meetings. They probably do now. It's been six years. They probably do now. But did you run into other people in Panama City that were getting the same treatment that you were? Or did they talk about people that do that? Oh, yeah. Because uh-huh. we all stayed at the same hotel. You stayed really? at the same hotel. They, it's, it's wonderful the way they have it set up. They, they greet you at the, at the gate. They get you right through customs, put you in a car, get you over to the Hilton. The Hilton, when you check in, has a full stem cell package. Here's your card key to go to that down the hall, to that elevator, separate bay of elevators, to go up to the building that's connected to the Hilton. That's a skyscraper where the Stem Cell Institute is. 
you don't even got to leave the building, John, to go to get treatment and then return to your room. Should there be any, I had, I had the, um, the classic, um, uh, uh, response, my body what are these cells? Who are these guys? And so I went right to my room after I got the treatment. I had a coffee with my sister. She chaperoned me down there because you have to have a family member when it's all cardiac case. Um, and so we had a little coffee, went back to my room and I literally, this is another case, man. This is my spirituality kicked in right here. Um, from meditation and from prayer and from seeking uh, to be more connected, I uh, had these this insane flu-like symptoms that came on after the stem cells. I was shaking and feverish, freezing and feverish, right? And I and and I covered up. I've got all all cuddled up in my in my comfortable, awesome room at the Hilton on the like nineteenth floor, look, overlooking the Panama Bay, you know, all cozy and rad, and um. And I was, and I, and I went inside and I was all, come in, come on in guys. Come on in stem cells. Come on body, accept these things, bring them in. Come on. They're good guys. These are the good guys. I literally said that to into my body. These are the good guys. Let them in. Come on. Let's get to work boys. Welcome. <laughs> and then three hours later, I, I started feeling better. I ordered some food, had dinner with my sister, great night's sleep, woke up the next morning, feeling completely normal. Got the, and then I had two more treatments. Um, subsequently it's three days in a row. And, um, and the body recognized them and was like, cool, come on in, guys. And they got to work. And then I went to Costa Rica for five days, which is great because it's right down the street, basically, from Panama City. And I went to meetings there There's in this little town where I went, Manuel Antonio, uh, which is near Capos, uh, the, so the uh, Pacific, uh, Pacific side, southern South Pacific side of Costa Rica. Um, they have a meeting at this rad little restaurant. Oh, shit, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember what it's called. But it's 10 a.m. every morning. Um, in uh, Aldo or something like that um, every morning 10 a.m. and there's exp expatriates and you know man I got I, my, my sister was like oh my god you're in your you're in your, your natural habitat there was animals everywhere <laughs> monkeys and lizards and dogs and uh, frogs and cats and all the and I was just I connected with all of them dude Dr. Doolittle style <laughs> cat sat on my lap it was an open air restaurant and they're in, during the meeting every day this cat um, Pedro Pedro El Gato, he laid on my lap the entire meeting every single day for three days. <laughs> That's Pedro El Gato. That's There's, great. Yeah, yeah. Little Pedro. He's Petey the cat. That's my That's part of my stem cell adventure there, John. Oh, that's incredible. So, and, okay. So I also want to make sure I cover, you have a, you have a lot to cover, which is a good thing, right? You have a full life. There's a program that you are involved with. We call it rock to recovery. I believe. Why don't you talk about that and what your musical life has meant to you during recovery? Yeah, man. Rock to recovery was formed in 2012 um, by uh, my dear friend, Wesley gear. We played in a band together. Um, we played in separate bands in the mid-90s. We met each other, played Hollywood, played Santa Barbara, played Orange County, Southern California. What kind of music? I played in a band called Snot. <laughs> so that sounds classical, is that right? <laughs> yes, we were actually adult contemporary, yes. Kennedy <laughs> <TV> style. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were um, uh, sort of like, sort of punk, funk, metal, uh, rock, you know, like we were really a mix of, uh, we are class, we are kind of lumped into a, a group called new metal, but we, I feel like we stand out from just a little bit different than the, than that. There was a, there was a, a definitive sound that was there that we tapped into a little bit, but we weren't, I feel like we weren't, um, we weren't sort of, uh, pigeonholed as much as sometimes we are, but, um, uh, yeah, so we were, yeah, we were from Santa Barbara, but we played all of Southern California and we got signed in 1996 and toured, uh, 1997 and 98. And then our singer was killed in a car crash. Sadly, that was his fault as a direct result of being uh, loaded. He was killed on the 101 freeway. He was T-boned and died. Lynn Strait, rest in peace. Um, yeah. And that was 2000, that was 1998, December 11th, 98. <laughs> And I was, I was still two, three years from my bottom when that happened. And I was, oh, I went, I started, that's when I really started digging in, dude. Oh yeah. I was so, I was so sad that I, that's the moment that I was like, let's get sadder, dude. Let's get really sad. Dark. Uh, dark, man. Let's go dark. You know, a lot of people say I drink cause I can't take the pain. I'm like, oh, I want more pain. Let's do this. So, um, I want to feel more. I drank so I couldn't feel really. I drank so I could feel more, um, of whatever it was good or bad or every, or bored. Um, and so, uh, 
Wes Gear started Rock to Recovery in 2012. Um, initially, um, it began as a nonprofit, and um, the goal was to work with wounded veterans and drug and alcohol treatment centers. When he told me about that, um, I immediately wanted in. I was like, dude, I want in. Uh, my career had been up and down with with music. I had, I had moved from being like a, a touring musician to a producer and was producing and working in studios and stuff. Um, but when I heard that, I was like, oh, my goodness. I literally was like a calling. I was, I, I, it felt like the finally, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And um, so we started as a nonprofit. We started uh, working in Orange County. And then um, we got we started to expand. We eventually started in L.A., expanded to San Diego. We became a for-profit as well. So we're a nonprofit and a for-profit. We became a for-profit, and then we um, – but we do an event every year. So what we do, okay. So the event every year is a benefit concert, which we de- just had last Saturday. That's why oh. our, our, that's why our interview, I was like, let's wait till after right. the event all consuming <clears throat> and fantastic. But, um, essentially we are a unique music program that goes into any group setting. Uh, it could be drug and alcohol treatment centers. It can be, it is, I mean, it is drug and alcohol treatment centers. <laughs> it is uh, working with wounded veterans which one of our guys works every week with the VA here in LA. Um, and uh, we have a, a, a contract with the Department of Defense of the United States of America, U.S. Air Force, a bunch of ex-junkies and, and alcoholics. We have a contract with the DOD, and they fly us all over the country to do this work with veterans. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, it is unbelievable. And so what, essentially what we do is we start a band with people in a group. It could be one to 30 people. And we start a band and we write a song together and it's no excuse, no musical experience required. In fact, if you don't have any experience, sometimes it's easier to mold it, you know, to actually, so we make a song together, we get people singing, we record it. Uh, we put it on SoundCloud, uh, for the song we have over, I think, oh my goodness, we have over 10,000, might even be close to 15,000 songs that we've uh, written and recorded in real time, I'm talking about within 90 minutes, maybe two hours, but within 90 minutes, most of them. Sometimes they're less than an hour, the groups. Um, and we write a song together. Um, and we get everybody singing and playing, and we have you know a methodology to, to teach people a couple notes on the guitar, even if they've never played guitar in their lives. We mold it so that there's two notes. You just play these two notes back and forth, back and forth. We get two people on the keyboard. We have a bass instrument on one end. We have a treble instrument on the other end. We can write on the keys with dry erase, one, two, three, four, however notes, however many notes. There's a great drummer that lives inside the keyboard who's always on time, <laughs> meaning we have a drum machine in the, in the keyboard. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and then we have a couple of guitars and a bunch of and a couple two microphones and a couple of a bunch of percussion. And we write and record music together. And uh, it's been fantastically uh, successful. We opened, we started uh, working in Northern California a couple months ago, and we just launched in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, last month or this month, I think. So yeah, man, it's, that's it's, beautiful. So if people want to know more about that, how would they, uh, yeah, you, you know, how do they access that information? We are on all social media, um, formats, rock to recovery, T O rock to rock, rock to T O T O in the direction of recovery, rock to recovery. Yeah. Not rock for, or rock in, rock to. <laughs> rock in the direction of. Yes, we're going toward recovery. <laughs> but yeah, and also rock to recovery.org for we are a nonprofit. That's great. Yeah, man. Well, Sonny, is there anything, by the way, I love your name. I just did. Oh, that's it's with a, an O, by the way. Yeah, okay, Sonny with an O. Yeah, and yeah. so, and is that a given name or is that. Uh, uh, technically, yes. I, it was given by my father at birth, f- from whom uh, after whom I am named. But he gave me Sonny because he was a big fan of Sonny, Sonny Jurgensen. Nineteen seventy one. Sonny Jurgensen was the, the quarterback Redskins the quarterback. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I suppose I, he, you know, he had aspirations of me being a quarterback. Instead, I'm a rock musician and an alcohol. It wasn't yeah. Sonny. I thought you were going to say like Sonny and Cher or something like that. I'm yeah, sure you get that sometimes. Though. Sonny Jurgensen, who was also a drunk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was. Yeah. I remember I, him. Yeah, you were going to ask me if there was something. Like yeah, I something wanted to, else you wanted to add before we wrap up here? Yeah, man. I'd like to add, um, I want to share just with people that we do recover. Um, and what I mean by that is I'm not as sick as I was when I got here. 
there's a there's a um, there's a uh, a tendency to perpetuate in 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 twelve step programs in the really in the treatment world. Now I work in the treatment world, if you will. I go into treatment centers. That's my full time job is to go into treatment centers and to help people, right? Try to help people. But this notion of 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 being sick in perpetuity is erroneous. It is not the case. I am not suffering from alcoholism today. If anything, I'm suffering from humanism. So if you want to look, if so we're talking about 12 steps, uh, you know, particularly AA. And again, I'm like you, you'll say at the beginning, I am not the AA spokesperson, but I, am, I, can, te- I can bear witness to my own life and the change that's occurred. So in the first two sentences of the, fir- of the foreword to the first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the word recovered, recovered appears twice in as many sentences. For instance, it says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show others, and then in italics, precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Okay. And so I, what I want to say is I have recovered. I'm not recovering. I'm 16 years sober. I, I took the 12 steps. I recovered from alcoholism. Just because my life, I, because I got divorced or because I have health issues or because my car broke down or because I can't manage my taxes, or because blah, 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 which I can do all those things and also not do them at times as well. Just because all that happens does not mean that my life's unmanageable. Okay? It doesn't mean that. I've recovered from alcoholism. It means that I need to get my shit together and address my life. It means I'm being irresponsible and I probably have some character defects that I need to work on. But I want to really impress upon people the hope. The hope turns into more than just, I hope it'll be better one day. It is better. It is. It becomes better, man. And it's a good life. And ouch and hooray and all the things in between. <laughs> Terrible sorrows. And wonderful joys and everything in between occur. And we can stay sober and clean through all of it. It's not what if something happens. It's when something happens. We can say, what if my dad dies? He did. I stayed sober. I felt his last breath in a wonderful, peaceful um, connection with my dad. What if my dog dies? He did. What if my marriage ends? It did. What if I crash my car? I did. What? What if I have two heart attacks? I did. And, and I'm not bragging, man. I'm not being cocky. Please don't take it as being cocky. It's, I'm, I, I have a power that's working in my life through the 12 steps and continuing to work them and through us, through this kind of thing, trying, trying to share the message with people on a positive note. It's not like, oh, man, I'm as sick as I was when I got – then what are you doing or what are you not doing? You know, I'll always be blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, then I don't want to do, I don't want what you have. And I'm willing to go to any lengths to not get it. Tell me what you're doing and I'll do the complete, <laughs> complete opposite. But it's all laid out, man. And it sounds Arthurian, like the, the language in the big book is, can be very, you know, white Anglo male sounding and sexist and whatever. And at the same time, I mean, it's, that's the tough part, man. It's just like him. I'm not down with him. My God's not a him or a her. Maybe an it. I don't know what it, I don't know what it, it's the nameless, but the connection, man, and we can recover and we do recover. I'm not always in recovery. I'm always an alcoholic, but I've recovered. And what you all cannot see uh, with Sonny and I looking at here is that he has used the namaste hand several times throughout this interview. And I absolutely love that. So I will say to you, Sonny, thank you so much namaste we appreciate you being here on sober speak god bless you in the rest of your uh, journey and i hope we meet again soon i see the light in you john thanks namaste Thank you, my friend. bye-bye now well i sure did enjoy my uh, time with sunny i hope you did as well please keep in mind you can find us on the world wide web at www.soberspeak.com 
Com. There you'll find about 45 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website if the spirit moves you to do such. You can click on that, uh, leave us a donation. Uh, keep in mind this podcast is funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. You can reach out to us if you need to at feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K at SoberSpeak.com. You can also go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, click on the uh, Contact Us tab and look for the icon that is a microphone that says Leave Us a Message and you can leave us a voicemail. We'll see you next time.